great God of abundance, we come before you humbled, knowing that you have so many good gifts to give us. Again, I pray that in those places in our lives where we feel are lacking, Lord, that we would have eyes to see the abundance that we've already been given. God, help us to see the places where we can share from our abundance. God, in community with one another, with all of your creation. God, being thankful for everything, every opportunity that we have to love and to serve and to care for others. Lord, I pray for all of the mission trips that are going to Florida and to Texas um, during fall break week. God, for all of the churches and other organizations that you've given a desire to love and to serve others by um, cleaning out things that have been waterlogged and are, are unsafe to live in a house with, um, to be able to do construction on walls, to rebuild floors, to rebuild homes, God, and to do the important work of standing alongside of those who have lost so much. God, we pray for just the, the ability for those to, who are walking in those spaces to bear the emotional burdens of the people that they are loving and serving. God, give them just amazing reserves of love, of hope and light that they can share. God, an ability to be able to allow those relationships to be more than just a short-term experience, but to be a long-term friendship. God, we pray for those that are in the islands and in Puerto Rico right now that are dealing with the effects of the, and yet another hurricane. God, we pray um, that help would be able to arrive just at the right time. And Lord, we also lift up those who are victims of the earthquake in Mexico, God, and we thank you for all of the rescuers that have come in and taken children out of schools that were crumbling and buildings that have fallen down. Um, God, it, it's just amazing what people can do when given resources and time and technology and um, just a desire to serve their fellow human beings. Lord, we see all of that. We see all of the good that is in the world, that even in despite of natural disasters and destruction, God, that you show up in your people. Thank you for those people. And God, help us to see that we can be those people too, in big and small ways. And for the folks that are running Malachi's Closet, God, that they can be a hope and a light to those in our community that are struggling financially and cannot provide for their families with furniture or clothing or whatever else they need. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to be a conduit in our neighborhood um, to be helpers and lovers and supporters and encouragers and the ways that you have called us to be. God, I pray for our neighbor uh, who has been in trouble with the law Lord, we thank you for his faithful service to our garden. Lord, and I pray that um, he would see your love and light even in the midst of his own mistakes and brokenness. And God, that he would understand that he is not too far away from you. Lord, help us to love him and encourage him as well. God, I pray for Julie's neighbor um, 
who has had such a rough time. I pray that Julie would be able to show her love and support, um, be able to provide the encouragement that she needs in this difficult season. And Lord, I pray for a hope of a new day um, without accidents or illness. God, that she could be healed and working in the world in the ways that make her feel most alive. So God, help us today as we delve into your scripture, as we dig into the story of Jacob, a flawed and broken guy who does so many things wrong, just like us. God, that we can see ourselves in him in the ways that we try to deceive to get an advantage. But yet, God, you forgive us and you love us and you join us even in our brokenness. So today, Lord, join us in our brokenness and that we would feel overwhelmed by your grace and reflect that to, be, to you in worshipful joy. I pray these things in your name. So, like I said in my prayer, today we're going to talk about um, the story of Jacob. And I entitled the message the longest title I've ever used, I don't, I think, maybe. <laughs> Running away from our mistakes, or how God finds us in spite of them. Um, and I think the more important part is the second part. God finding us in spite of those mistakes. So, I decided that, you know, maybe... That's kind of funny how that stuck on the screen. I think we might need a new projector eventually. Um, so what, what's happening here is this is a very simplified kind of family tree. We've been in Genesis for the last couple of weeks. We started with a creation story, and then Herb was talking to us last week about Abraham and Isaac. So, you know, Abraham is, is the patriarch of the family. So he's, he's the big dog. He's the one that God called out of the land into a land he, he didn't know in order to follow God. And essentially to establish a new faith with this Yahweh as the head. So then he had his son Isaac when he was really old, after he and his wife Sarah did a whole bunch of ridiculous stuff to try to make this whole, like, having a big family thing happen. Um, they didn't trust God, but God still provided Isaac. I'm, and I didn't put all the side things over here, like the other concubines and wives and all that kind of stuff. Because what I want to say, though, is that this family is super jacked up. Okay? And this is a very simplified diagram because the ones I found online had all of those extra things. So you've got the extra wives and all the other kids that aren't really a big part of the biblical narrative that caused a lot of issues. Um, one of the commentators I was looking at was talking about it being like, it was like it's like Real Housewives, guys, seriously. This is like real patriarchs of Genesis, I guess. Like, because they lived in all different places, so I can't say Real Housewives of like New Jersey or whatever. I haven't watched that show in a really long time, but it was super dramatic and ridiculous. And people that were very selfish and self-focused, um, yep, 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 all, all there. Um, these people are real human beings. They look like us, they do things like we do on our worst days. And I love that the Bible has these stories for us. And 
some of the things I've been reading said, you know, this is the reason why people believe that the Bible is true. It's not necessarily about all the archaeological evidence and all that kind of, you know, great theology, theological support. It's that our sacred text demonstrates humanity as it is. These are not ultimate people doing perfect things who've been deified, right? These are people that God has chosen that are broken and flawed and do really boneheaded things just like we do. And they're relatable. You know, they're living in this ancient agrarian society where they're traveling and tents and they have animals. Like, we don't do that, right? But we get the kind of idiotic things that they do because we do the same things. All right, so we've got Isaac. Isaac has two kids, Esau and Jacob. They were twins. His wife, Isaac's wife, also had issues conceiving. So this is like a family thing. Could be a biological thing that they've got in their line that there's conception problems. Um, that's relatable, right? I mean, we know a lot of people that have difficult time having kids, and that's a really challenging thing when you want to have kids. So you've got Jacob and Esau. We usually talk about Jacob first, but the funny thing is that Esau is actually the older brother. They, you know, they're twins, but Esau was born first, so he's the one that's supposed to have the birthright. So that's kind of a big part of the story. So at the point where we're at with the story, we are, Esau has already gotten married. Jacob has not married, but Esau has married a Canaanite woman. He's not married a Hebrew woman. So he's married somebody that has other gods that they worship. Um, this has caused a lot of strife in the family, but Esau is daddy's boy. Jacob is mommy's boy. And that obviously causes a lot of friction. And so as all the parents in the room know who have multiple children, don't play favorites. Well, both of the parents played favorites. And that can cause a lot of issues. So again, Real Housewives kind of drama going on here. And Jacob has already um, gotten his brother to promise the birthright because Esau was really, really hungry and Jacob made this excellent stew of red lentils, which as my astute Hebrew studies teacher in Genesis taught me is that Esau's name means red and he's eating red lentils and there's all this kind of commentary about his hair being red and um, yeah. He, he's on the outside of the law being red. Let's just put it that way. So it's a lot of foreshadowing, even with his name and all the other stuff that's going on. So we know that it's a little side joke, a little Hebrew side joke. So that's kind of cool. So what I'm going to do is just read the, f we've got a lot of text. I'm going to read the first section and talk about it a little bit. And then I'm going to spend a lot more time on our last section of text. So this is Genesis 27, verses 1 to 4, and then 15 to 23. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called his elder son Esau and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, See, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. But then take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Then prepare for me savory food, such as I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may bless you before I die. 
So this is a big thing, this ceremony. Even though Esau already is the firstborn, um, Isaac is just confirming that blessing being passed down to him. Then Rebekah took the best garments of her elder son Esau. All right, Rebekah's being shady. You know, Esau's gone out to, to kill these animals to be able to make this stew for his dad. And Rebekah's taking his clothes. Um, which were with her in the house, and he put them on her younger son, Jacob, and she put the skins of the kids, not actual children, right? We're talking like baby goats, on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she handed the savory food and the bread that she had prepared to her son, Jacob. So Rebecca had planned this, right? She'd either kept aside meat or she had gone out to hunt. This, is, this took a lot of work, right? I mean, they're, they're living in like a desert place. There's not easily accessible animals to eat meat. Eating meat was something they didn't do on a very regular basis. So she had certainly planned ahead. So he went into his father and said, my father, so this is Jacob again, you know, masquerading. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. I think it's interesting that he says, The Lord your God, instead of the Lord my God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Isaac has an idea that there could be some shadiness happening here. So Jacob went up to his father Isaac, who felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are of the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. So even though Isaac had this kind of question, is this really Esau? He still went ahead and gave him the blessing, which I find very interesting. So, you know, I had a thing about the Brick Bible Lego guys. I found the website. You can go on the website, brickbible.com, and see all of the stuff in the Old and New Testament. So. This is, this is Jacob with his mom, Rebecca, and that's their, their version of the savory food. I think it's hilarious. So, and do you see how Jacob is dressed up in, in the, the skins of the animals? I like his outfit. So what we know is that the birthright belongs to Esau as the firstborn. So he came out of the womb first. He is the firstborn. He owns that birthright which means he's supposed to be able to get the land and all of the, the estate, the animals, all the things, the possessions that they have that are worth anything are supposed to go to that firstborn. But Esau sold it to Jacob already for those lentils I was talking about in Genesis 25. That's not what he was supposed to do, and that was a very shameful thing to do. And then again, Jacob is tricking Isaac to be able to seal the deal um, to get that final blessing from his father um, in Genesis 27. So this passage we are just in. So obviously this causes an intense amount of family strife. You've got Esau, who's this big burly guy. He's the man's man. He's out there. He's the one who's killing animals and stuff. So as you might expect, 
he's pretty hacked off when he comes back from his hunting expedition to find out that his brother has stolen the blessing. So uh, Jacob gets run out of town. His mom's like, here, go to the town where we came from. Go to my family's town and find yourself a good Hebrew wife, which is what he goes to do, um, who ends up being a first cousin. He actually ends up with two wives, but that's after this passage. And also lots of trickster stuff and lots of infertility and other kinds of interesting things going on. So we skip ahead to Genesis 28, and this is um, verses 10 to 17. So Jacob left Beersheba, which is where his family was living, and went toward Haran, which is the place where Rebekah was from. So he came to a certain place and stayed there for a night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. I think he's had a little turnaround in his attitude here. Um, Just a couple little notes about Jacob's dream. So, um, as you see in the, in the painting that I found, it's the translation of the word to ladder is not a very good translation. It's actually what they would call a ramp or a stairway. And so these are, these are things that you see in a lot of temple architecture at the time. They're called a ziggurat. And it's a, a way for the earthly realm to be connected to the spiritual realm. And so angels and other celestial beings will come up and down to be able to communicate. That was kind of their understanding of how that communication happens. But something is different here. So there's angels ascending and descending, right? But those angels aren't communicating with Jacob. They're just there. They're present. They're witnessing God the Godhead standing next to Jacob and talking to him. That's pretty different, right? You know, here's this guy who's done all this tricky stuff, who's um, mishandled the opportunities that have been given him and taken advantage of somebody else by using tricky means, I guess. Kind of like some of, the, some of the text said when it talks about Joseph being smooth, it's like he's a smooth operator. He's sly and manipulative. So here's this guy who's got all these skills of manipulation, 
but he's been humbled and God is coming to him in person and saying, you are the person through whom this blessing is going to continue and all of the people of the world will be blessed through you and your descendants. He's about the last guy in this story that I would think that God would be doing this with. And I love that. I love that he didn't see that the place that he was in was one that was holy. But yet God showed up in the dirt when he's got his head on a rock. He's got it there under his head, not just to be a pillow, but to be protection from whoever might come and attack him. Because he's out in the wilderness alone. He is on the run. But God shows up to him and he says, the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. How many times in our lives have we said the same thing, right? Like we could be doing the most mundane things in our life or we could be walking through a season where we have caused destruction. We have blazed a trail of destruction, right? I think all of us probably can attest to doing that in some way in our lives. But yet God has shown up in the midst of it all. Whether that's like being saved from certain consequences of your own behavior or seeing someone come to you in mercy and and extending grace to you or being able to receive the things that you need at the time that you need them. Even if you're trapped in an addiction and you're there because you got there on your own. Like, this is a story for us. It's a reminder of how broken we can be, but yet how merciful God is. And how God does use us to extend the kingdom, no matter how dirty our hands are. This is a story of grace. And it, it's amazing to me that the, the God that we often look to in the Old Testament is this retributive kind of Thor, right? God's up on in the clouds and is sending down lightning bolts and is going to smite the people that don't do the things that God wants them to do and um, if you're on the wrong side you're dead but we can see that a picture of that Emmanuel God with us the picture of Christ the coming down the coming with like no matter what kind of brokenness you're in this God is with me God joins us where we are, even when we're running away from our own mistakes. God is not afraid of our junk and our ugliness and the way that we hurt each other. God is not afraid of that. And God forgives us and loves us and calls us to a higher purpose. And even uses our ugliness and our bad decisions um, to do something more beautiful with it. This is something that I wrote here. Jacob didn't deserve God's favor. He wouldn't win any awards for morals or holiness, but God used him. I'm not sure why Jacob was the one God chose to become Israel and not Esau, but God saw fit to come down to him when he was alone and scared to give Jacob great hope for the future. And that's the cool thing because from this point in time 
what Genesis talks about when it talks about Jacob is often using the term Israel. And that's where we get the nation of Israel from. Because Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, and that's where we jump into the story of Joseph. But we don't get to do that this year. And I'm sad because that's like one of my absolute favorite stories of the Old Testament. Um, but I think this is an amazing spot to land for us from Genesis. So this is the question I want us to take a couple minutes and talk about together. How has God joined you when you weren't worthy? So I would love to hear people's response to that. So how has God joined you when you weren't worthy? These don't need to be like the most incredible testimonies. It could be an everyday kind of thing. Um, just like an awareness of how God has walked with you in your brokenness. Anyway, because then it seems like an emergency. 
Um, so God showed up to get me out of bed because my brother in Colorado tried to call me twice in five minutes. And I even knocked it off, saw his name <coughs> on the phone, on the floor, and it still was like five minutes. But it was that five minutes that was like an, an awakening happened. I want to go make coffee for my family. <laughs> That's what I really desire to do here every Sunday. And um, it really bothered me. I hadn't been able to do that for two weeks. And uh, so then it became a hurry. You know, um, I almost left. I needed to hear this today, right? That's what I'm talking about. I don't feel worthy. I'm feeling pretty humble. Um, my sugar went to 300, which is, you're all kind of blurry, you know? But I needed to hear this. And it's just humbling to follow through even in the midst of your stuff. That's true. And I would love to hear more stories, but we're kind of running out of time. But Julie, you can share it next time. I, this is a little awkward because I don't, this is super personal and whatever, but when Philip was first born, um, you know, I was like a single mom and going through the, my own personal turmoil of feeling like, oh gosh, I, you know, things are different than what I thought they were going to be. I was back at my parents' house and I had lost my job at Starbucks and I thought, I have no way of supporting my child. I'm like scared to death and um, I don't know if it was God and I don't want to like make a big, I don't know, but I, I had my interview for disability and it got approved and I sort of felt like God like it was almost like an angel like had taken care of me in that moment and it was like I was given the grace that I would be able to take care of my son because I had some help and I I didn't deserve it you know but I mean there are so many people that need help and I didn't feel like I deserved it more than anybody else but I I don't know if it was God or what but I kind of felt like grace was shown to me in that moment, you know, and that's really personal, and I don't know why I just told everybody. But Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Thank you, Julie. So when I was um, doing my study for this message, I came across this, I, I guess I could say it's a liturgical poem, and I want to be able to share it with you, and it's called Migratory God um, by Fuklu. And so I think it really speaks to God coming and being with us. And I think it, it's, it speaks to us understanding that you know, God is present to everyone, even if we, in our own mind, think that they don't deserve it, right? Because I think if we look at ourselves honestly, we make judgments like that all the time about people we think don't deserve God. Migratory God who uprooted Abraham and led him into a foreign land. Provide rest for your people. The stranger and alien, the refugee and wanderer, the one seeking sanctuary, settling in an unfamiliar place. Migratory God, who travels great distances to become human and live among us, dwelling in us. Help us see that we are all restless searching and seeking, finding that place of being and belonging to lay our heads as you who had no place except with your people. 
migratory God who has crossed borders and boundaries to be born a stranger fleeing from country to country, feet moving for miles over desert and dry places into the Jordan River, where you cross from one land to the other in the waters of baptism, where you wash off something to ties to nations so we might enter into a new kingdom and country. Migratory God who accompanies us in our journey, remind us where we've been, from where we've come, so we might not forget that we all traversed great distances to find the place that our hearts seek to settle, that place all of us call home. So God, as we approach your table today, help us to find that place that we can call home that place that's in you. God, because of the grace that you extend to us, even when we're completely unworthy, God, you call us to higher things. You call us to be your people that extend your kingdom amongst all of us in the world. God, you are the God that comes down from heaven to dwell among us, and you don't ask for us to clean ourselves up so we can approach you. You come to us when we are dirty and broken and off a path, when we are alone in the desert and only have a stone to lay our head on. God, you come to us. So Lord, let us come to this table with thanksgiving and graciousness and joy because you have already come to us and you are sharing with us this meal of your body and your blood that we can celebrate together the work that you have already done. God, call us to your table. Call all to your table. And help us to be prepared to share that grace and mercy that we have received with all who cross our path. We pray these things in your name.